You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Dan, the pastor at City Church. We're in a series called Dear Church, because that's exactly what's happening as Jesus is dictating a letter to the Apostle John, who's in exile for his faith on the island of Patmos, to write actual words from Jesus to specific churches. But these messages to the churches are universal for all of us. So there's seven churches he specifically identifies uh, that he wants to give strong instruction to due to what they are dealing with in their context in the first century as they're trying to follow Jesus in a hostile world. So I'm going to pray for us in just a minute. Also, uh, this is uh, Ashlyn Portero, who is just up here, uh, her send-off Sunday as she gets ready to head to London as a missionary. Uh, Let's encourage her and just, uh, just... Show our support as a church. We're going we're gonna to talk about that a, a little bit later. Um, one of our, our good friend churches, Summit Church in the Raleigh-Durham area, likes to say that the kingdom is gained by churches losing people who are their best folks. And they call it gaining by losing. And I am definitely experiencing those emotions right now as the kingdom is going to be gained and the work of the gospel is going to be done overseas because God's going to use Ashland at the same time and massive loss for us. But we go forward with it and support her because it's a kingdom gain. Isn't that right? It's a kingdom gain and we're for that. So I hope you all understand that and can celebrate that. Absolutely. So we're, it's going to be a good day. So here's the question that we're going to dive into in Revelation today, and that's the overlapping question throughout the book, and that is how do the people of God respond to the cosmic conflict, the true battle we are actually engaged in? Let's pray together and we'll talk about that. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful you have given us the keys to the scriptures and by the filling of the spirit to carry on the task you've called us to as believers. For those who don't know you or just kind of checking things out or searching, I just ask you to open their eyes today. For, you to see, for them to see your love for them, that we will all together understand that we are loved by our God, and it's evidenced by the fact that Christ came for us and died for us and rose again. He ascended into heaven, and one day we'll return for his church, and we will worship you for that. We ask with all the churches in Tallahassee today, our church plants, our missionaries around the world, that everyone will proclaim the name of Jesus. Keep the enemy out of the city and out of our place. We also lift up Ukraine and, and what's happening there. Be with the Ukrainian people, be with their leadership, Lord, we ask you, please put a stop to this by your power. You are over all things, so we trust in you. Just like the Ukrainian believers and their churches are and are saying out loud they are doing, we are trusting you because you are the one who holds us in your hands. We're thankful for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So how do people of God respond to this cosmic conflict? Because that's the ultimate conflict. I know it sounds weird at first, but that actually is the true battle. There are forces, and that's not kind of weird church talk. The enemy is real. Jesus believed the devil was real and addressed the devil specifically. And the call in the book of Revelation is a call to conquer. To conquer. That's one of the main themes of the book, but not to conquer in a war-style effort. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people. It's the same scripture that tells us to love our enemies, So our struggle cannot be against flesh and blood spiritually, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Anybody creeped out yet? 
Okay, good. <laughs> because this is real things that are happening here that continues to happen today, our true battle as believers, and the word of revelation is for us to conquer. We're told in Romans 8, we're more than conquerors in Christ, that because of Jesus, not ourselves, we are capable of this. But the question is, well, what does conquering look like? So for Ephesus last week, conquering to them for that church meant returning to their first love going back to their motivation in the first place of why they started their church, of what it was that drove them, that if it's not a love for Christ and a belief in the gospel and being part of God's mission, it's going to ultimately fall short. It has an expiration date. It was just about religion or tradition or trying to prove something or some sort of earthly political battle. Eventually, it's all going to go away and fall apart. But if it's driven by Jesus and a love for Christ and to get the gospel out, that's what's going to last. But we forget that quickly, so we have to return to our motivations and our reasons for why we live our lives over and over again. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ we just sang about and his resurrection. So the church this week is Smyrna. The church of Smyrna, an actual local church, a body of believers under elders that are meeting together regularly, doing all the activities of the church that John is now writing to. He says this, this is Jesus talking. He tells John, write to the angel of the church of Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, Jesus identifying himself, I am the great one. I'm the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. That's important for them to know. This is who is talking to you, not just some kind of moral teacher, not someone who simply helped the poor, uh, not someone who just taught you some lessons that inspired you or taught you how to love. I'm even so much more than that. I am the first and I am the last. And then he reminds them, I am the one who was dead. Remember, I died for you. And I came to life, proving once and for all that I was the promised Messiah. I was the one that I claimed to be. I fulfilled my mission that I was sent here on earth. So based on all of this, this big, huge, massive, first to last, was dead, now alive Savior, he gets personal. He says, I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. Well, how can you be rich if you have poverty? because they know Jesus. But it's not that simple, it's not that idealistic, there's more to it. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, people, false teachers, impostors, but are a synagogue of Satan. I know what they're doing to you, the strife they're causing. Here's what he tells them, don't be afraid. That wouldn't make sense unless he actually is the first and the last, unless he actually was the one who was dead and came back to life. He says, don't be afraid for what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil, again, a real being, is about to throw some of you into prison to test you. Notice that Jesus even knows this, which means he's sovereign over this. He's sovereign even over the devil. And you'll experience affliction for 10 days. What's his call to them? Be faithful. Be faithful. Remember who I am. Remember what you believe. Be faithful to the point of death. Remember, they're not the first and the last. I'm the first and the last, he's saying. I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's people are to listen to his word. The one who conquers, there's that word. That's what we're called to. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. 
So conquering for Ephesus was returning to their first love. Conquering for this church in Smyrna is required apparently here to escape what Jesus calls the second death. So the second death is later described in Revelation as a lake of fire. Revelation 20, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If you've rebelled against God and never been forgiven of your sins, never received the righteousness of Jesus by putting your faith in Christ, that he's the one who died for you, you won't just die once, you will die twice. And the second death is eternal. He's warning about this. This is not hellfire and brimstone message. This is the loving words of Jesus to people who claim to be Christians, to be faithful to avoid this second death, not based on our works, but actually trusting in Jesus over all things. We see this also, Revelation 21, but the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Some of you are like, of all the weeks to come, well, there's good news for us. It doesn't have to be that way. This is a loving message of Jesus, of warning and pointing people to himself and away from the second death. So I think it's sad when we simply read that and all we think of is judgment rather than think of mercy that Jesus has provided for us. This, there is a final judgment that he's talking about where there is no recovery. So being faithful unto death is to conquer for this church and for all believers universal. My old seminary professor, Tom Schreiner, says this, that Jesus says it is them not compromising with imperial power in order to sustain their lives that he's pointing to. Since those in Smyrna must be prepared to die, real persecution coming, the testing for 10 days isn't a literal period. Nor does it mean that persecution will not last long. 10 days is symbolic for limited suffering confined to life in this world. We are not to read this to say the period of suffering in this life will necessarily be short, as if Jesus were insinuating that they would suffer for a short time in this world and the rest of their lives, and this will be pleasant for them. This earth was never designed to remove us from suffering. God doesn't put suffering in our lives in order to give us some kind of ultimate comeback to go conquer the world. He puts suffering in our lives to make us more like Jesus and depend on him and to do a cosmic conquering, returning to our first love and sharpening our faith. See, Smyrna, this church, is a city from modern Turkey. At the time of Jesus' letter, and this is really important, I think it will be relevant and hit close to home of our day. It was a prominent Roman city with an especially strong allegiance to the Roman Empire. Robert Mounts, the commentator, says, it was the first city in the ancient world to build a temple in honor of the goddess of Rome. And it won permission over 10 other Asian cities to build a temple to the emperor Tiberius in 23 BC. So lots of idol worshiping happening at this time. And this strong loyalty to Rome, it made it really difficult in which to be a Christian in that community, in that city. 
Citizens were expected to pay homage, to worship, really, and make sacrifices to the emperor. And this extended to every area of your life. It wasn't a category where you just kind of go do your, let's worship the idol, let's you know, pay tribute to the emperor through worship over here, then I live the rest of my life. These idols infiltrated everything. Full allegiance of your entire life and work and family was all towards the emperor. Those who refused to participate, to get on board, could be banned from anything as lighter as the trade, which would have obviously affected financially your family, or as extreme as being imprisoned, exiled, or even put to death. And this is what's happening at this time to our brothers and sisters in the church of Smyrna. All this was happening to them. This was their reality, what they were experiencing. And what are Jesus' first words to his church? The first words to Smyrna after his instruction I know your affliction. His first words. I know your affliction. I'm not distant from you. I'm not a God who's far removed from you. See, when you suffer for your faith, the first thing Jesus wants you to know is that he sees you and that he is not far off. I see your affliction. I'm paying attention. Not only am I paying attention, I'm the first and the last. Also, I've had affliction too. I was dead, but now I'm alive. Like, you can trust me. And this one who's the first and the last, who was dead and now is alive, is with you. And is for you. And has not forgotten about you. Now today, in 2022 in Tallahassee, your employer may not require you to worship an emperor. Like the, like the literal emperors in Smyrna did. However, there are ways that our society pressures us to worship other idols. Where the call to conform and abandon your faith or ignore it or just get along with the culture is in front of us all the time. There's a pressure, David Schumann says, to make money and success our God, to work endless hours and to make profit our only bottom line. And if we don't buy into this idol of success, we might miss out on that next promotion. There's a pressure also to bow down to the gods of sexual freedom and moral relativism. And if we don't, we'll be labeled as backward or bigoted or out of touch or even oppressive. So whether the cost is big or small, here's Jesus saying to you, I know what you're experiencing. I see what it costs you in that meeting at work or on that Friday night or in that relationship. Like, I know you're suffering and I am with you. Peter wrote this to the church that was experiencing a similar matter. He said, you rejoice in this as in their trials, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. You still rejoice in Christ during this. Why? So the proven character of your faith which is more valuable than gold, as in more valuable than anything this world has to offer, which though perishable, see gold is perishable, it will fade away, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the long game we're being pointed to, the faithfulness of Christ over the extent of our lives and for all eternity. He says, though you have not seen him, this is the first generation coming up of Christians who have not actually seen Jesus themselves, Peter was an eyewitness, but here he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Why? Because you know who he is. You know he is the Messiah. 
You know he is the promised one of God, and also you're aware of the gospel story. You're able to love him because he first loved you, 1 John says. So not seeing him now, you believe in him by faith, and not just a blind faith. Peter, evidential. He's saying that he appeared, we're told, in 1 Corinthians to over 500 people at one time. Many of them are still alive. Peter's one of those people. He's saying, I'll testify to it. And it's so credible, Peter was willing to go and die a martyr's death rather than ultimately deny Christ at the end because of what he knew to be true. That Jesus had died and he had risen again and he ascended into heaven. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Well, how can someone who's going through trials and suffering rejoice with unexpressible and glorious joy? He's not talking about in the moment that you don't grieve. Jesus himself grieved. What he's saying here is there is a bigger picture for believers. Why? Because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. That that's the goal, that's the aim, that's the focus. He goes on to say in chapter five, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That's what God has done. He's called us to salvation, to share in his glory. With himself, restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered for a little while. And this whole little while is in light of the new creation that is coming, and this short time he's referring to is to life on this earth, this entire period between Christ's resurrection and ascension and when he will come back again. Seems like forever to us, we see in the scriptures, it is not forever to God. So John says to the church that suffering is for 10 days because in light of the new creation that is coming, the suffering is going to be brief in comparison. So believers, Christians are called to endure persecution, to endure martyrdom even at this time for the sake of Jesus Christ in order to receive their reward, the salvation of our souls. He identifies himself, Jesus does to Smyrna, as the first and the last in verse eight, which is a declaration and announcement of his absolute sovereignty. So in their pain, in their trials, in their grief, in their anxiety, in their uncertainty, he tells them to take comfort in the fact that it's not their persecutors who are really in control. It might feel like that, but it's smoke and mirrors. It's an illusion. As my Texas friends say, it's all hat and no cattle compared to the greatness of God. Jesus is in control is not Christian cliche. It is the absolute truth of the scriptures. Did you know Vladimir Putin is not in control? He's not. As great as a leader as he's shown us to be, the president of Ukraine is not in control. Joe Biden is not in control. Donald Trump was not in control. Your boss is not in control. Business owner, you're not in control. Ultimately, God is sovereign over everything. It can't be said about any of us that we are the first and the last. So it points us away from ourselves and even away to those who are causing us affliction and points us to Christ, the one who is ultimate. They have limited power over you. Maybe they can fire you, 
But in the grand scheme of reality, that little slice they control is entirely insignificant. Schumann says, in fact, even this little slice is in the hands of God. They can't do a single thing apart from him. And so Jesus says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. And I know it's, it's easy to go, well, look, I mean, you're Jesus. I mean, of course you don't fear. Look at us, we're people. That's easier said than done. In chapter 10, he says that, don't, or verse 10, don't fear. For many of us, fear of persecution is the biggest reason we're tempted to compromise our faith. And it might not be your life on the line, most likely in the United States, but it could be your social status. Could be your followers on your social media. It could be public perception. When we remember that Jesus is sovereign, we can be faithful to him even when it's unpopular. Even when it means we're not accepted by our coworkers. And even if it costs you a second date with that guy or that girl. Now, the reason why there should be rejection should never be because of how we treat people. The posture of Jesus was always love. We see that sinners wanted to be around him so much that it confused the religious crowd. But when he would talk about who he was and what that meant for all of them, that crowd would often disappear. When he fed the 5,000, everybody was all about him. Then when he told them to pick up their cross and follow him, they dispersed. We must remember that he is sovereign. Here's what it looks like to conquer. This is from chapter, 20, for chapter 12. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb. Like that's the war strategy, is the blood of Jesus. And by the word of their testimony, if they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. So we can refuse to compromise our faith because Jesus has conquered even death itself. He is the one, verse eight, who died and came to life. And so he says to us, to the church of Smyrna and to all believers, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. That is the crown of eternal life. See, the word crown had special significance to the church of Smyrna for two reasons. This is David Schumann, whose research was very helpful for me. First, Smyrna was famous for its games. And the word used here for crown is not the word for a royal crown, like for the king or for the queen. It's the word for a wreath or garland that was awarded to the victor of a game. This is before participation trophies were a thing. You got a trophy because you won, not because you were on the team. We love Billy, but get a grip, buddy. You weren't very good at t-ball, you're not getting a trophy. It's okay. So... Actually, he is. That's our world now. And second, Robert Mounts. Smyrna had a famous street called the Street of Gold that curved around the mountain that overlooked the city. And at the top of the mountain was a circle of buildings, which was called the Crown of Smyrna. It was a point of pride in the city. And Jesus is saying to the church, don't be concerned with the things that your culture values. Smyrna is not the barometer for what we care about. That is not where we find our worth or our purpose. Don't be concerned with the things your culture values. Forget about those crowns, because I'm going to give you the real crown. The actual crown of eternal life, that's the crown you should be after. 
That's the crown that you should focus on that comes by grace through Christ. See, this is the key to refusing to compromise your faith. Reorient your perspective to what is truly most important. To what is truly most important. And what is that for you? Like, what really is most important to you? What would your kids say if I asked that question? What would your roommate say if I asked that question? What would your coworkers say if I asked that question? Your spouse say if I asked that question? What is most important to you? If your goal in life is happiness, simply, here and now, then you'll, you, you'll choose comfort over faithfulness to God when it comes to it, when you're faced with it. That's what you will do. If your chief concern in life is your physical health, I'm not saying a concern, I'm talking chief concern, then you're going to compromise your faith when you feel threatened with any kind of unsafety or violence. The only way to refuse to compromise is to make life with God your ultimate goal and believe that he is the greatest crown, that he really is the greatest treasure. People talk about how we're blessed by God and blessed by God, and we should say those things and thank God for those things, but you're never going to ultimately stand firm until the end unless you believe the greatest blessing of God is actually God himself. It's actually life with God, that he is the greatest treasure. He is the crown you desire above everything else. And the problem is, I know you're probably like me, that our faith is weak at times. It is. So many things distracting us. Gosh, I love comfort, and I want to be liked, and I care what people think about me, and I don't want to be labeled, and all the things. Our faith can be weak. And the small decisions, the big decisions, and what we stand for and we cowered over, we do compromise our faith from time to time. Maybe some far too often. But the good news, and it's great news for us, is there, one, there is one who was faithful on our behalf. Who never compromised. Who never sold out. Who perfectly fulfilled his mission. See, Jesus Christ, the one we gather to worship on a Sunday morning, was faithful to the Father, even to the point of death arrested, beaten, mocked, killed. But on the third day, he rose from the grave. That's why we're gonna go to the Civic Center for Easter and get as many people as possible in that room to celebrate the fact that in his resurrection, he secured our victory. The crown of eternal life. Shriner says this, my contention is that we desperately need the message of revelation for today's world. There's a great conflict between the good and evil in our world. And the Christian faith is under attack as it was in the first century. John reminds us in this book that God rules even in an evil day. That God has not forsaken his people. That goodness will finally triumph and prevail. See, in the midst of evil, in a world in which the Christian faith again is under attack, we need hope and assurance that evil will not have the last word. And Revelation teaches us that a new world is coming that a new creation is coming. That's what Jesus promises us, is a new heaven and a new earth, and that all actually will be well. That it really is going to be okay. When one Christian tells another, it's going to be okay. The Bible is not saying that means it's gonna be okay in our emotions or in a worldly sense tomorrow. It might actually be really rough, but that it is going to be 
okay. Why? Because the first and the last had the first word and has the final word over all creation. And he is actively redeeming a people for himself that'll go to a real place called heaven where real people go for eternity. God is just, he's holy, he's righteous. And those who turn against God and Christ will suffer judgment. Be not mistaken. We will be punished for our sins unless we trust in the one who was punished in our place. That being Jesus Christ. At the same time, we see in the book of Revelation that death and resurrection of Jesus, his death and resurrection, Good Friday and Easter, are the center of history. The fulcrum of history. Evil has been defeated because of what Christ has accomplished. Remember, our war is not against flesh and blood. We're conquering because Christ has conquered. The triumph over wickedness was realized not by an act of judgment, but through the suffering of the lion of the tribe of Judah, through the lamb that was slain. So what do believers do as they live in a modern-day Babylon, as they live in a world in which governments of the world are not for the church? John tells us we are to stay close to Christ, that we must not compromise with evil, that we must endure to the end, that we must look ultimately to the final reward. Because the book of Revelation is not a prophecy chart about the future. It is not a prophecy chart about the future. What's happening in Russia and Ukraine right now is not the book of Revelation. It's a call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And John tells the church to be faithful and to be fruitful. To be faithful to Christ and to be on his mission to let our light shine before others. They may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That we should not give in to despair or to suffering or to persecution because in the end, all actually will be well. Because Jesus reigns, Jesus wins, Jesus is coming again for his people to make a new heavens and a new earth where all evil once and for all and all the cosmic powers will be conquered. So in the meantime, for us to conquer means to be faithful as Christ was faithful, not left alone, empowered by his spirit and strengthened by his church to carry out the task he's called us to. Let's pray. Our God, we are thankful that you are faithful. We don't even have a definition or a category to fully understand the depths of that statement that our God is faithful. But let us together trust and believe that you are And in a world of compromise, when we read Revelation, it's it's encouraging for me to know that this is nothing new. The believers have always faced that temptation. There's always been a force against them, trying to point them away from you. So I ask we'll be reminded and we will return over and over again to the fact that you are with us, that you hear affliction, you see affliction, that you are for your people in Christ. And what that ultimately is going to look like is you carrying us on to completion of what you have planned for us and that you will lead us into all eternity to the place that you have prepared for us. So I pray for our church. pray for the folks who are here today. I ask that we will be people who endure because what we believe to be true about who you are, the first and the last, the one who is dead and now is alive, that our belief that you are alive, that you are ruling and reigning right now, sovereign over all history, the Alpha and the Omega, will lead us to say yes to you rather than this world and this culture and this society. For it is passing away, 
the one who does your will remains forever. Let us believe, let us trust. We need your help to do that. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing some good news.